You're listening to the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT podcast. I'm your host and curator, Rabbi Aprom Kipolevich, and I hope you enjoy this episode. Shalom. This is some of my best friends are Kabbalists. I'm Aprom Kipolevich, and I'm here with Rav Nosanotaglik from Ashkelon, Eretz Yisrael. Um, the whole world, and I'm not just going to say the Torah world, but the world in general um, is considerably less enlightened, considerably less holy, in a way, with the death of Rabbi Avram Yeshua Heschel, Tversky Zeichel, Tzadik, Ukodesh, Levalocha, and just like you expect the death of a leader, whether it's a president or a pope, to sort of dominate headlines and stories, despite the fact that we have a series that plums and crawls and speculates on Kabbalistic themes. And we're just in the middle of talking about what it means to uh, to eat properly according to Sod. But I think that uh, my good friend Nelson is correct that we should put in perspective from even from a mystical especially from our mystical uh, perch here, well, his, <laughs> I'm just really the catcher uh, calling the signals. You're the, you're the pitcher throwing. What is it <clears throat> about Rabbi Tversky, who um, we've talked about Rebbe's and Titian last week, and he was a, a, a Rebbe quintessentially, despite the, um, the Snoopy tie that he wore, despite being known as Abe, in terms of running the Gateways Rehabilitation Center, he really brought to the table uh, and was not only bringing to the table, he was the embodiment of the ideals of the great mystic, not just great Hasidic leader, uh, Rabbi Yisrael Baal Shem Tov. And uh, as an enico of two of the greatest, um, the Morenayim and the Balatanya, Rabbi Nachem Nochem of Chernobyl and of Shnerzaman of Liadi, he embodied uh, so much of what makes the mystical or um, the, the Hasidic attitude powerful and resistant. And I think, therefore, Nosson is someone who not only shares an affinity to his Hasidic thought and his love of the Rebbes and Tzadikim and his understanding of how their tzidkus is still alive today and how relevant it is, but also in your other hat, when you're not wearing your, your spodik, your hat as a counselor, as a therapist, how you were uh, perhaps indebted and in understanding of uh, what Rabbi Tversky was able to bring to the world and the Jewish world and the world beyond in terms of uh, the 12-step program. So I, I think I laid the table here the way you wanted it. Um, why don't you take it from there in terms of what you'd like to say about the loss of this great man and, and what are the significance of his work? Yeah. Um, well, first of all, it's, it's fitting to say, you know, he was one of those people that uh, you're not going to find them again. He was a, he was a one of a kind, and um, he was a it was a great therapist and 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 a, a great rav and a great rebbe. Um, 
I can't say that I, re, you know, remember anything that specific about, cause I mean, I read a lot of stuff and I don't necessarily remember, you know, 90% of what I read. Um, but there were some things about his, about his story that touched me a lot, which I, which I think, um, uh, resonated a lot in my, in my life. So I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to start with something that's, you know, I'm probably going to sound unconnected, but I, but I believe that it's not, <clears throat> excuse me. And that is that there is a, such a thing as a zeitgeist, you know, there's a, there's a spirit of the age and no matter how much you try to insulate yourself from the spirit of the age, we're always susceptible to the, to the age in which we find ourselves. Okay. And one of the reasons why I can talk about this, I maybe a little bit more convincingly than other people is because I have, you know, I have this kind of a gift. I remember things from my childhood at a very, very early age. I mean, I, I remember when I, when I, thought without words because I didn't know how to speak. Okay, if you can, if you can imagine that, well, that's very hard to remember. Um, but I also remember must have been something like around 1965, which would have made me five years old, where I was absolutely convinced that science is the truth because science is objective, because it's factual, because it deals with facts and it's and it's rid itself of the subjectivity of the of the observer okay the you know you always you can have a wonderful theory but you have to test your theory against reality and you do that by setting up an experiment and doing and observing the facts now i don't mean to imply that i knew all of that whole um worldview uh, when i was six years old but i certainly had the gist of it okay and even from that age on, there was really no room in my life for the miraculous. I was, did not believe in miracles. And already I was very strongly, I had the, you know, I had the very intense feeling like, like spirituality couldn't possibly exist. Because if, if the truth is out there and, the, and everything that you can see or perceive or measure, forget about seeing, which is no longer such, so much of a ride, but everything that you can measure is, is material then where is there room for a, for a neshama? Where's the room for a spirit? Where's the room for anything that is not the, that is not a material object. So I must also be a material object. And then I realized that, whoops, that person, namely myself is mortal. And I went into like, I don't know, a year of Avelos for myself. I mean, <laughs> okay. It's really crazy, really crazy story. I, you know, I, I was crying every day and nobody could figure out why I go, you know, I go into the, I go into, I'm in school in the morning, you know, and uh, I'm crying, crying, crying. They take me out to the office. And they sit me down. The secretary tries to ask me, why am I crying? And I somehow blurted out because I'm going to die. And so the secretary called up my father and, and she was very shocked. Your son says he's going to die. And he, my father said to her, well, ask him when he's going to die. <laughs> when I'm an old man, <laughs> okay. But I mean, up and you know, up until that age, I'd never, it never really hit me that you know that that uh, that I was mortal, okay. And and what do I do with that? And obviously, I didn't have 
the slightest bit of emuna in anything other than material existence, as you can as you can tell. Otherwise, my avelus would have been somewhat more tempered, or somewhat less, uh, you know, somewhat, somewhat somewhat less complete. You know, I'd fallen me igorama libira mikta. You know, from from basically immortality to 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 death, and and that was a nasty fall for me. And of course, I remember this. Who, who else has memories that go back to the, this period in, in in childhood? Okay, but I do. You know, I didn't. I do. Yeah. Oh. Yeah, but they okay. weren't. Uh, they weren't those type of memories. But I definitely, I remember my uh, uh, from three to five uh, pretty uh-huh. distinctly about what was going on. And um, no, you're very. You're you're quite a. You're you know. You're quite but, unusual. But, but they weren't. We know but that they, anyway. But, but well, it wasn't uh, what I was interested in. Again, I know I know you have a point there, so I don't want I don't want to um, juxtapose uh, what my own speculations were. Yeah, in that go right time. ahead. This is an interview, man. Okay, so you're, you're interviewing me. Yes, some of your best friends are Kabbalists. Well, we don't say who the my the in our title we don't necessarily say who the my is, right? And we don't even say that you're the, my best friend or who it is. It's just you know it could be anybody. Maybe Rabbi Torsky is one of our best friends, and um, and maybe he was a Kabbalist. I think you probably think he was. But anyway, yes. So now interviewing me, um, you're asking me. You're you're taking me back to three, four, and five. I wasn't concerned about um mortality although i was concerned again obviously becoming a social being understanding the world around you um to me a lot of it was figuring out what was happening with television what was happening with what i was watching and how that was different and the same with the world that i perceived in my house this yiddish speaking everyone screaming at each other um you know uh you know, trying to kill the cockroaches. Mm. That's right. <clears throat> that to me was a dissonance that I that I felt, and trying to understand. I think one uh, an incredible moment about how you know we are it, just absorbing and consuming, and that you know <clears throat> that that our our existence is sort of strange. Was at a um, I was a, a little bit younger than all the kids. And we went to the uh, birthday party, uh, uh, a birthday party of my friends, of the kids in the neighborhood. And I think it was the fourth or fifth birthday party of a little girl. She's married to um, a Chosh of a Litvish Lamden living in Harnof. He's been sitting out there of Aveda. He's printed a couple of Svarim. But uh, at that point, she was just this little girl that I like to play with because she lived a block away. And I remember we went to her birthday party, and the birthday party that we went to was a um, a, a taping of a of a television show. Uh, it was called Looney Zoo, and Looney Zoo was the afternoon cartoon program. Um, I don't know if you've ever watched The Simpsons, but of course it was that's what Krusty the Crown uh, <laughs> was showing the itchy and scratchy cartoons. Here we had the the uh, the, the sort of like uh, strange clown who did the Looney Zoo. And I remember we were all there at the at the birthday party, but there were no cartoons. And, you know, all the kids at home were watching cartoons. And we were just part of this audience that had been propped up there. And I... Oh, that must have been disconcerting. Yes, I said, where's the cartoons? I remember I was telling all the kids, you know, when I'm at home and we're watching this, you know... Yeah, it's the same guy, 
It's the same Looney Zoo man, but how come we aren't seeing any cartoons? I because I see it when I'm at home, and it came to me that yeah, what's this is really a product, and that there's this artifice of 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 the world, right? And all this stuff is being beamed at us, and it was wow. And I think that really lodged within my head a sort of cynical understanding of. Of, of of what society does to people, you know, uh, that they turn them into consumers yeah. and that they try to feed them a fantasy that doesn't exist. Now, it's not as deep as an existential pain of dying, but um, that I think is what was, yeah. con- I think that's what I was concerned with was, was the difference between my, my home life and a life that was projected. So the difference, I guess, and you could say, Nelson, it is somewhat similar. The, the 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 gap between the ideal and the fantastic and the grimy reality. And I think that was something that was I was constantly trying to, in a way, um, embrace that ideal, despite knowing with every fiber of my being how entrenched we were in a grimy, ugly reality. Does that sound... Uh, um, uh, sufficiently well, profound. It's profound. Yes, it's it's it's, but, it's profound. I give you I give you a profoundness award. Um, you know, here at the Kivalev Kivalevlechian Empire of uh, podcasts. Yeah. <laughs> I see. I see. Referencing uh, my good friend Rabbi Belhaffer, uh calling us the uh, the the evil empire here. Um, yeah. Has- no, yeah. Evil. Has- yeah. I understand. But, uh, but, but uh, no. I anyway. Agree with- but go ahead. So yeah, so yeah, let me so let me before, before go we completely ahead. lose track here. Yeah. Um so what I wanted to say was was that I don't know where I knew that science was the MS. I don't know how I knew that objectivity beats subjectivity. I don't know how I knew that all subjective experiences is 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 is, uh, is false. Okay? I don't I don't know where I knew that 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 uh, that material bodies die and that's it. Where did these ideas come to me? No one ever taught. No one ever taught them to me. No one ever said them to me. It's part of the. It's part of the zeitgeist. You know, it's part of the. It's part of the atmosphere in a way. And the, the point that I'm trying to make really is that is that after, you know, the the first half of the 20th century, and after the age of enlightenment, um, religion took a big hit. I'm just a really, really big hit, and and spirituality took a big hit, and it would be fair, I think, to say that that a lot of Kabbalah was just dead in the water, you know, and and that's that's the age in which, uh, as uh, as uh, the Satan Rebbe Rabbi Yoelish, you know. Uh, he said he said that you know we don't have a hasog in the Torah of the Baal Shem Tov. okay, and it's just just kind of an acknowledgement that we have fallen so low, so far down. We have we've we've lost our core, you know, spiritual identity or our sense of our our sense of right? our our sense of of um of who we are, you know. And and that was that was lost to us. 
And I know that I know that um, Rav Tversky, when he was starting out, he went through this experience also because he. It's probably the one thing that I remember specifically out of out of his books. And I believe it's the introduction to his first one. Okay, whichever one that happens to be, is that he you know he describes his background from Hasidish family from from a, you know Hasidish rebbe's, but his sense of being unable to do anything with it. Because some something you know something was lost, something was gone, something had disappeared. It was like it was like a, I don't know another another kind of symptom where suddenly the you know the light had withdrawn and disappeared, and all, all, we're, all we're left here is with 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 a bunch of stories and anecdotes and 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 uh, fairly unbelievable tales, you know, and and nobody you know and and nobody knows how to nobody knows how to how to work with that. So, Rabbi does describe how he came upon the the twelve step shita, you know, the the twelve step methodology, um, and somehow or another, this was a little beam of, shall we say, spiritual light that was shining into the world of medic, medicine and science and making an impression there. You know, so so it's like it's like it's like very fun if you want to think of it in you know in Lurianic terms. You know, first there's a symptom, there's a great ex, you know there's a, there's a great disappearance of of something which was once upon a time uh, you know commonly felt and commonly experienced. You know, and then after it all disappears, you get some sort of little kav or you know some sort of little beam of light that shines into there and begins to and and begins to change things. Okay. And it just so happens to be that the the line of light that went into the, the you know that came into the into the emptiness um, was addiction treatment through the through the twelve step program. And why, why don't this you comes? Take a, can you take a little aside and just briefly encapsulate what that means? I mean, I know a little bit about what it means, but you as a counselor, can you just say a little bit about what that okay. is? Well, it's it. Um, there had been many, many, many treatment modalities that, had, modalities that had been suggested for all kinds of addictions, alcoholism in particular, which is of course a major, major social problem, and then and then uh, drug addiction, which became a much broader social problem. And people tried to work with all sorts of all sorts of theories and all sorts of methods to try and, and fix people who have addictions. Is it a physiological disease? Is it a is it a is it a mental illness? Is it is it the you know the the remnants of emotional trauma? Is it that uh, you you know your mother didn't love you enough, or your father or your father loved you too much, or what you know what's like what's going on? Okay, and there is basically a sense that nothing worked, absolutely nothing worked, and the only thing that worked was something that was discovered by alcoholics themselves, which is that you have to contrary to you know contrary to um, the usual intuition, you know, that, that an addict suffers from a willpower problem and that you have to just look yourself in the, look yourself in the eye and say, okay, I'm now choosing that I'm going to do things differently. I'm going to control myself. I'm not going to go to the bar. I'm not going to, you know, I'm not going to go hang out in front of the crack house. I'm not going to do these things that get me in trouble. I'm going to start right now and I'm going to control myself. And what happens after you've tried to control yourself a million times, okay, and you keep on failing, you say, well, okay, self-control doesn't work. So what does work? And the answer is surrender. 
So a person who is an addict needs to surrender. First, they need to surrender to the fact that they are an addict, because most addicts, as long as you're trying to fix yourself, you're also in some state of denial. Okay, so you're kind of denying to yourself that you are an ad addict. You're making a, you're excuses for yourself, basically. And then you have to surrender to the fact that you can't do anything about your sickness. You really can't. You can take responsibility for it, but you can't, you can't make it go away. And then the third thing that you have to surrender is that you have to find it within yourself to surrender to a higher power. If you don't surrender to a higher power, then you will not get fixed. You will keep continue trying to dig yourself out of the mud when you are, in fact, the mud that you're trying to dig yourself out of. You're not going to get out of there. You need to have a higher power come into your life. Conceive of the higher power as you wish. You don't have to, you don't have to get all, you can be, you know, it can be JC in a, in a cloud of glory. You know, it can be, somebody used to say, I think of my higher power as a, as a, as a yellow school bus. I get on the yellow school bus and it takes me wherever I need to go. You know, the point is that you surrender yourself to this higher power and you say, okay, I'm ready for you to come into my life. Oh, higher power, however I think of you, come into my life and fix me up. And that seemed to work. Now, there are some, maybe some psychological explanations as to why this, you know, this thing works when nothing else would. And, you know, basically- Can I just interrupt you just for one second? Uh, because we've been talking about numbers a lot in our discussions. Does it have to be 12 steps? Or in other words, is, is, is those three main par parts of what you've described, does each one have four in it to create 12? Or is it just... Um, well, I, 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 don't, I don't actually recollect all the 12 steps anyway. <laughs> the, you know, the, the, gist, the gist of the first bunch of them is, to, is to, to accept the fact that I'm an addict, to accept the fact that I cannot fix myself, and to be ready to let the higher power come and fix me. And those are, those are, those are the first three. There's, there's a whole bunch of others, like, like, um, which are really important, by the way, but you know, to, to apologize for everybody that I've hurt. Okay. Um, to and then the last one I believe is to is to reach out to other other addicts or other alcoholics and try to spread the news. Okay. So it's it's a you know, I'm, I'm pretty I'm pretty sure they decide on the number twelve or somebody decided on the number twelve because because number twelve is uh, has a lot of um, you know meaning in Western religion, you know twelve apostles, and you know and all. I think that's I'm, I'm certain that's hiding in there. Okay. And so when so when Ralph Tversky came across this came across this, he realized that here there was you could see the hand of a Baruch Hu out there helping addicts get better. You know, and that's why it's you know that's why it seemed to him that he had found a way that Ruchnius could actually matter in people's lives again. That you could, you know, that you could see the hashgacha working. Okay. By the way, anecdotally, there's also there's also seems to be a proof that Hakadosh Baruch Hu, or the higher power, or the creator of the world, or whatever you know, the, or the big yellow school bus, is Jewish. Okay. Because I mean, I I don't want to get sued for saying this if it's not true, if it's not absolutely true, but but from, from what I have heard, okay, um, the least effective form of the 12-step program is Overeaters Anonymous. Okay. I mean, you know, higher power, I surrender. I can't control my, please come into my life, fix me up. 
Nein, Kind, es, 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 mal wird das auf Essen. Genau. There's some issues, I believe, with, with, the, with uh, the use of the 12-step program as, as, a, as um, a way of, of um, you know, dealing with eating disorders. But um, anyway, alcohol ponim, that's, that's what Rav Tversky discovered. And that's also what I discovered. Because, I mean, if you, I'll tell you honestly, belief in Hashgacha Pratis, belief in ha that HaKadosh Baruch Hu helps, didn't come to me when I was sitting in yeshiva. As a matter of fact, yeshiva was quite um, was quite skeptical of any kind of metaphysical claims. You know, it was as if, as if nobody really wanted to take a chance on on, on the rabbi Nishloilam. because what happens if he disappointed you? You know, so okay, you know, we were we were we were kind of encouraged. I think how you know right? That uh, that line. Um, which is, I mean, it's a paraphrase of a Pusik in here. Yahoo, no, you probably know better than I do. Um, you know, if only, okay, and you know, Kodesh Baruch Hu says, listen, I, you, I, would, I, would, I would appreciate if you would forget about me and, and just, you know, just learn my Torah or some, you know, something yes. along those lines. As if, as, if, as if Torah could be meaningful without there being a Bayri who gave it and whose presence you feel in your life, you know. Um, but that was, that was considered apparently a safer, a safer, uh, path to go on in a, in a universe in which there no longer was any uh, any spiritual reality so, okay. so do you and, think and that... by the way nobody no 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 specific person ever woke up one day and said oh yes i you know let's choose a universe in which there is no spiritual reality it happened it, it ha these these kind of things they just happen in history and in life and and uh and you know so that that struggle how, so do, you, how do you adapt to this Okay, so what, oh, yeah. let me put let me put it in sort of um, in base language, not base, but you know, to, uh, you know, just a structure. Rabbi Tversky, born in 1930, um, clearly um, coming of age in sort of like the popularization of the scientific world after World War II. Um, uh, that was an event that sort of convinced people not only of the greatness of the United States and the principles of democracy, yes or no, but it also put into the popular uh, consciousness um, the importance of science, the importance of what science was able to do, the importance of data, other things. And those are things that, in a way, um, crushed the, the, the need for and sort of like uh, jettisoned the, the, the importance of some sort of mystical um, uh, view of the world of God as the higher power, everything, uh, right? And everything could be mm -hmm. measured, and especially the, the the wide expanse of 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 what human achievement uh, was happening during that period uh, seemed to, you know, it was it was it was sort of a harbinger of the famous Time magazine, nineteen sixty seven or sixty eight. Is God dead? Because it didn't seem like God was playing any sort of role, and Rabbi Tversky obviously um a, a product like of 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 great Torah and chassidus and sod was finding a world where the message was not resonating at all and then he discovers let me just you know again if i think i'm getting it right here he discovers in the when he when he dealing with addicts dealing with people who were 
um, in, in such pain and, and, and had messed up their lives so completely by these 12 step program who whoever was the uh, innovator and inventor of it, he was seeing a place where through the pain and suffering, the idea of God, the creator, God, the prime mover, God with the plan was actually once again relevant in terms of change and lifting people out of self-destructive lives and allowing them to become better and greater. So what he was seeing was Dafka in the most depressing and uh, anguish-filled areas, he was seeing the Nitzitz of Ruchnius, which was not being apparent in the Pleasantville of the rest of the world. The rest of the world was sort of turning its back unnecessarily because of the the great, especially in the United States and other places where you had a great economic uh, boom. You had a a world that when's the next invention coming? Soon we're going to get into George Jetson's car and fly uh, to to, to where we need to go and then wrap it up. That's what everybody was at. And it was Dafka in the dregs. It was Dafka in that in that overkill place where you might say it's like the psoilus of all that shefa toiv and the people that were mired in a prison of their own uh, addiction to it, that's where Rabbi Tversky found the Nitzitz of Ruchnius actually changing and revolutionizing people. Would that be a good uh, summation of that? That would be, that, that would be fairly adequate. I would, I would, I would add... Once again, you know, from my point of view, part of part of my lesson about this, which makes me very, very understanding and very forgiving of of, uh, of a lot of people that other people love to hate, you know, is that when the universe changes on you, nobody asks you for that, and nobody nobody asks for that to happen, but it happens. And once your universe changes, once your perceptual universe changes. Once the universe that you live in changes, and it's not through your actions or your, you know, um, once something like, once a revolution like that happens, okay, you can't not be where you are. You are where you are and you have to deal with it. Okay. So if, if you, if you, I mean, you know, for example, how is it that like in the, like in the 20th century, and since one of the, you were asking, somebody was asking this on one of your, on one of your podcasts, you know, how is it that suddenly, you know, everybody was enthralled with revolutionary socialist uh, doctrines? Like, where does that come from? You know, and and um, I know, you, we, I think I think it was in the context of Yisrael Salat. Um, and, the, you know, the answer is the universe changed. And and suddenly, you know, Yidner holding on to this hope for Mashiach for, for, for 2,000 years, suddenly you wake up one morning and it's like, wake up and smell the coffee. Hey, this is not going to happen. This is, this is an illusion. This is, this is just not real. It's a fantasy. Okay. And when that happens within a culture or within a society or within, a, or within the world as a whole, in a sense, there's almost no going back. You have you have to in some way make make uh, you have to somehow do something meaningful with the situation in which you find yourself in, and sometimes it takes a long time until you can until you can find the way out of that situation. It's, you know, in in my in my particular case, um, I was 
had I been born 30 years earlier, I don't know what I would have been in 1960. It's quite possible that I would have not believed in anything. But it just so happens to be that I was I was in a period of time in which some things developed and I met some nice people and I, I learned a few things and I, you know, and, and I'll, I'll give credit where credit is due. You know, Rabbi Eichen's wife saved my, you know, saved my soul. Okay, because he, he showed me things that I had not seen or had not been able to see. Um, he might have saved so it in order to blame reformed Jews in Germany for being reformed Jews from Germany. Okay. They woke up one morning and their universe had changed. Okay. And yelling at them that, oh, you're, you know, you're Kaifrim, you're this, you're that, you know, putting them in harem isn't going to change a damn thing. Okay. You wake up one morning and you realize that, uh, you, you know, you realize that, uh, like, what's the, what's wrong with homosexuality? What's wrong? Who? Who? What? I mean, I, this, is, this is the way that he is. Or this is the way that I am. Right? You know, or, 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 whatever. What's wrong with it? Ah, so the Torah says, you know, mois yomu, you know, whatever. Tayeva. Okay. So, so, you know, when when the universe changes, okay, you you have to be aware of it, and and you have to realize that, hey, you know, you are where you are, and then there's a very painful process of of trying to, of trying to, you know, figure out where to go with it. Okay, which is which is not at not at all clear, um, you know. So Kabbalah, to some extent, gives, gives, does give you a model of seeing this change happen because you have it seems so. You know, you have something. You know, suddenly the oil was mystalic, you know, and then and then something else happens, and then maybe you begin to find a little cove of light that comes back into the you know comes back into the emptiness, and you can start to build so, with it. But it's it's a it's a difficult and it's a difficult process. Okay. Let me just uh, try to, to put a, a period here on this, and, and then I want to uh, open a little um, a latch door to the attic. The period I want to put on this, do you believe that his discovery of this program, his popularizing of it, his ability to push it, to promote it, do you think that it was, in, it was uh, there's a direct line to his um, the mystical tradition that he is a um, a, a scion of a a, a Yerush of um, could, couldn't have, could have, like a yeshivish of Bentayra whose whose concepts had no mystical or as last week you were championing you know Slifkin and others who have uh, adapted a more rationalistic uh, interpretation could that could they have also discovered the twelve step and 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 and, and embraced it and made it into the success was there a direct connection between his kabbalistic slash hasidic perspective of the world and and uh the adoption of the program yes okay yes you don't but, think i mean it... he also in in that in that same introduction which by the way i read many years ago and my memory is not the greatest you know but my i definitely have the impression that he saw the 12-step program as a continuation of the like the only way left for a Hasidish person who comes from a background of Admirim who 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 tried to help people through spiritual means is the only way to continue with that in the present world is to is to is to do this kind of therapy. So that's the reason why he became a therapist of all things. Okay, or maybe maybe he decided to become a therapist. Then he figured it out, then he figured out the 12 steps, but whatever that confirmed his decision to do therapy as a way of perpetuating the tradition of his of his Helige, you know of his of his uh, holy ancestors 
right? Because that's you know because that's how he saw Ruchnius intervening into the into this world that it would otherwise be entirely physical, physical and entirely. And and, and and let's say you right. just be using certain abstract or concepts of whether it be Hirsch or the Rambam you don't think that it would have been such a seamless connection. It's only because of the, of, again, remember this is about Kabbalah, it's only because of right. uh, the system of the Debal Shem either adapts or is Megala in certain oifan of, uh, of Kabbalah, whether it's Mibsarai Techse, in terms of seeing the Midas within yourself and being able to give yeah. it those names of Chesed, Gur, Tveris, Netzach, Malchus, that's what allows the the carryover. If it's you know, if it's just well, if it's you gimel if you gimel ikarim, it's not going to work. Well, I'll tell you, I'll tell you why also because, um, and by the way, Rabbi Nachman knew this, and and I, look, anybody that learns Kabbalah, I think I think knows this, right? The problem with thinking, let's say, a Hirschian approach or a rationalistic approach is that you is that you have to argue with the reality that's in front of your face based upon abstract principles that you're going to prove to yourself intellectually. Okay. So, so somebody wakes up in the, so somebody wakes up in the morning and they suddenly realize that there's no Akkadish Baruch Hu in the world. I just, I get up. I don't see, I don't see spirit. I don't see Shmalochim. I don't see Rabbi Shalom. All I see as biological entities in a struggle for survival. That's what I see. I didn't ask to be in this universe, but here I am. My Zayda was in, you know, was lived in a completely different universe. My Zayda got up in the morning and he went into the forest okay. and poured out his heart to cut his bark, and all the trees were singing and all the grass was was grassing. And uh, okay, it was, so my my Zayda lived in one kind of universe in which in which spirituality was real, and I live in a universe where suddenly everything, all the lights, been sucked out of it. And here I am. I mean, now so I can try to use my mind. To say to myself, okay, I'm looking at a tree. The tree obviously didn't create itself. The tree has incredible, incredibly deep structures that would take an intellect to, um, you know, to uh, to create. And therefore, there must be a creator of the tree. And the creator's name is Hakadosh Baruch. And only only that wisdom could actually keep a tree like this uh, going. You know. And if you're doing it on the level of some sort of intellectual speculation, okay. In the end, it's not going to hold water. It's not going to hold water simply because for any taina, and I heard this from the bells of Rebbe, by the way, this is straight from his straight from his mouth. Anything anything that is logical can also find some other kind of logic to 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 undo it. Okay, logic so, is a, logic is based on your axioms. Okay, so, so here's this, the basic This axiom. is your response to people who would uh, adapt uh, a Maimonidean approach to avoid Hashem, that especially in a world that those logical or scientific arguments can now be uh, can now be stacked against what you're doing, whereas the mystical approach um, is something which can alter, resist, and absorb even well, uh, scientific and, and, and advancements. Here's, and, and here's right, and here's and here's the, here's here's the reason why. Okay, because when you're because when you're learning Kabbalah. There isn't one reality. Reality is 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 uh, is there's a multiverse of realities. Okay, and there's a real there's a reality of before the tzimtzum, and there's a reality from after the tzimtzum, and there's a reality from after the 
from the, after the Atsilus of the Igulim, and there's a reality from Shvira Sekelev, and there's a reality of Oilam Atiku, and you know, basically, probably the most operative one is the reality of Shvira Sekelev and the, and the reality of, of, of after, after the Tikkun, and no one reality has completely ever displaces a previous one. Okay. So when you're so when you're in Shvira Sekelev, man, you're in Shvira Sekelev. There's no point in arguing that, that you know, that, that oh, you know, I, how do I know that there's HaKadosh Baruch Hu? Because it's all these broken vessels, and the broken vessels could only be broken if they were once whole. And they're, okay, as a, as, a, as a mental exercise, it's, 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 pretty well, it's pretty well useless, okay? The point, the point is, however, that there isn't just one reality. You have to realize this kind of relativism of, of situations. Okay. Let's just contrast it the philosophical perspective. And again, we we you know I was the one dissing on it last week, where yes, there are two uh, platforms, but the first platform is for the plebeians, and that's supposed to be basically you jump off of that when you're now into the world of metaphysics, as opposed to as you're saying realities that are coexisting with each other and being true in this way and not being true over here but being true at the same time whereas again according to the rambam right. he he basically says okay you're There's now in reality according to the rambam right, right and you're operating in this lower one now you're ready to join the elite the illuminati but but it isn't all right and it, 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 when you when you when you fall off of that perch you've actually you've ruined yourself whereas in a kabbalistic system you're basically saying well there's a little bit of toyu here's a little bit of tikkun uh, this bum that rabbi tversky is listening to who's talking about uh the the the, the depths of his pain is an neshama from the ulama toyu and therefore i could listen to that and and pick up a certain nitzutz of elokus that's there and maybe I could now elevate this and bring it into Tikkun and now do my Avaita. So, which is something uh, uh, yeah. wouldn't be possible so, the other way, right? Well, to to my mind, the difference the difference here, yeah. I mean, to, to my mind, the specific the specific issue here is that if you're rationalistic, you have a tendency to try and find the truth that is out there. I understand. And that that is and that there's that there's one truth, one you one universe, one cosmos, and you're trying to figure it out. And and the question is, so you know, when you figure it out, is it actually necessary for there to be a creator? And you know, and because presumably if you can prove the existence of a creator, you can prove everything else. Which by the way is not true because it's perfectly reasonable for there to be a creator who doesn't give a damn. Okay, who doesn't intervene, who doesn't do anything, who, who, who you know, like, which, are the, which is what the creator's, you know, the philosopher's concept of God really was. Especially okay. if you're a being that hasn't yet achieved oneness through your philosophic uh, speculation and, right? Because yeah, you, you have all these... You, even, if, even if you did, I, you know, the, I mean, the whole, the whole problem with the Rambam in terms of the Rambam's, what's the Rambam's relationship between his philosophy and his Judaism? Okay, is yeah. that he really accepts the the Aristotelian concept of what God is? God is so perfect that he's completely indifferent to anything. So, so he, you know, so so it, it's almost impossible to imagine that the world is created. The world is like, the world is like emanated. The world is like a like a an, a, a, an afterthought. Or, by the way, this is this is this 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 I saw in in in, um, in the Zidichaiver's Sur Meiravi Asitoy, by the way, which really threw me because I never imagined that Talmud Abba Shem understood this, you know, this Aristotelian rationalism quite as well as they did. But he said the relationship between Akadosh Baruch Hu and the world is a relationship between a stick and the and the shadow it casts. 
That's from the philosophical perspective. That's from the philosophical perspective. And of course, of course, the Torah's perspective is no, it's Ratzon. But go prove that. You know, I mean, okay, so there's so there's something here in, you know, there's something here in in the in the idea of to of trying to find out what the rational principles are for reality and proving the existence of God through them, which basically has kind of let's say broken down Lashon Hamatad, whether and whether it ever worked to begin with is is uh, is, is something of an issue. Yeah. Okay. Well, and, and, if, and even if and if you can prove if you can prove the existence of God, you can't prove that that's a God that cares about you, that you really want to dive into. Okay. But you, you know. Okay. I, let, let me go up the attic steps for a second in the uh, crawl space. Um, there is a, um, uh, as you know, uh, before um, the uh, the intense revolutions that and and uh, and social unrest and um, unleashing of what we would sometimes refer to as demonic forces of World War II, um, there was an excitement at the beginning of the 20th century, an excitement of, and you know, um, Einstein's theory is part of it, uh, the discoveries, the, the understanding of disease. There was an excitement about what humans were able to accomplish and find out. The difference in 50 years between 1915 and 1885, or, you know, was, or, uh, you know, or, or 65 was, incredible right the 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 difference between 1865 and 1915 was sort of like a caveman being able to get into a a a, a porsche right the, in terms of the conceptions mm-hmm. of right and yet at that time there was an increase in spiritualism right uh, even you have people like conan doyle and others um who were who were as you, those advancements were occurring, there was an equally pushback of, of people who were trying to find, you know, a connection to the, to, to the beyond, uh, uh, a, 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 a really a search. And even one of the people that you introduced me to, um, the great Rebbe, Rebbe Alistair himself, right? There was a, a sense at that, at that <laughs> moment of, 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 of going back to some sort of program, like as, these advancements are happening where the world seemed to be coming together, where we seem to have been really extracting ourselves from this primordial mud of, 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 of ignorance. And now the world, there was this uh, attempt to sort of say, well, where's, you know, the supernal wisdom. There was a desire for that and it was stunted. It never really went anywhere. Um, and, you know, I, I would say parenthetically, Martin Buber at the same time, was was waving a flag that many people also were Im- Im- impressed by. Um, and I think we can maybe put Rabbi Tversky in a certain sense as a more successful um, uh, achiever of that. You know, instead of necessarily, um, okay, the world is this way and it is shocking and it is incredible. And now here's maybe where we can now turn to God. You have... Uh, the ability to actually mold and meld these two aspects together. And that is something which I think can be an incredible legacy where, again, maybe it's because of the fact that you have the multiverses going on, but maybe it's also the fact that, you know, this, 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 this bare 
complete embracing of the physicality um, and understanding and, and, and brutal honesty along with his perspective of, 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 of the Avedis Hashem and recognizing the Nitzaitzes, maybe that's something that, that, that can work um, and, and, and can actually give us some sort of balm uh, to to not feel overwhelmed and not feel that we've got we're ostriches with our heads in the sand. Um, those of us that don't have religious children many times feel that we have to bend over backwards and uh, apologize and, and 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 sense their scoff, their scoffing nature over you know you're so smart about this and here you are doing these primitive things. Maybe it's only people like Rabbi Tversky uh, and, 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 and what he was able to do that really create a path for, for the acceptance of, 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 of this type of spiritual perspective. Am I making some sense oh, to you? Yeah, and, that's, and that's, that's what he did. He was, he was one of the people that was able to, to um, you know, see past the limitations of, of the material paradigm, you know, materialistic paradigm. Um, and, and he's not going to be, and he's not going to be dismissed like Conan Doyle or Houdini or any of these other people who who say, okay, well, you know, the world, right? And and you know, even if uh, or or in, or in, or including, by the way, you know, somebody like another buddy of ours, Carlos Castaneda. Uh, yes. I recall you 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 paid you paid Carlos uh, the ultimate compliment by saying that you didn't think that you could read his books in the bathroom. <laughs> um, he, you know, he was, you know, that, that those kind of machshavas where you, yeah, and, uh, and you should. Although, yeah. although, by the way, he's he's round, he's roundly recognized simply today as as a fraud. It's a complete fraud, right? But it was very, yeah, yeah definitely I, to me. Is I'm surprised you remember we talked about peyote and where um, where what it can do for you. But yes, um, and and you're right. It isn't some sort of trip that he was taking uh rabbi tursky rabbi tursky was actually yeah. grounding the him. important yeah the um, the important thing is that it, it that it not be a trip and and the idea of grounding is is extremely important and and not to you know not to lose your head but to you know to really maintain a clear-headed view of the of the of the facts as they are in front of you even though you believe there's a paradigm that's higher or different or other than the you know than the one that uh, that, that dominates now um, and by by the way, you know when people speak of fallen angels, you know, or like you know, uh, Aza and Azel, that uh, you know, Shenaflum and Ashamayim, you know, okay, you know, fallen angels, I think, is what happens when you when when the world changes. You know, I, I think of I think of Malachim as being like you know the the uh, scaffolding that that uh, that holds the world together. You know, and 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 when an angel falls, that's it. You know the um, it falls and then the world changes. I agree. And, and so, I, and again, I think it was, I think it was echoed by someone who I think Ruach HaKadosh sometimes um, inhabited uh, really a chosen meyumas ha'olam in many ways, Abraham Lincoln, who talked about um, listening to the angels of our better nature, right? I mean, could, could anything yeah. have been more a hiskalis of the Sitra Achra than the civil war when you had people really, you know, going out and, Killing each other, you know, brother against brother, and really, you know, yeah, that was, that I, was I, bad. I, I know that uh, you've been in a, a little bit of a funk over where America was. Can you imagine? We talk about 1865. Can you imagine being in America in the 1860s and and looking around and seeing that would have been scary. 
then, but, then, then the I, reality but, would have been just as bad as anything that anybody was scared of. But once again, here you have coming out of that, you have a, a voice like Lincoln, who of course dies for his ideals. But you have Lincoln, who talks about, you know, in the second inaugural, talking about the angels of our better nature and realizing that that the Hashkocha Pratis. I mean, it, it, it really, in a way, is one of the most consequential and most powerful statements, uh, you know, speeches ever made. You have a person who's saying, yeah, you know why? You know, we're getting punished by God. And you know what? We're both getting punished, the North and the South. We're being punished by Rabbi Shalom for for taking advantage of human beings. And, and, and that's, and we're both suffering in that way. Wow. Could you, do you see what that man yeah. just did? He took something, a geo, uh, I don't know if it's geopolitical, but definitely a political struggle with, with argumentations and pseudoscience on both sides, arguing for slavery against slavery, expansionism. And then he just puts God into this, in, in, into the mix. And right, that's the coda. Yeah. Anyway, Tzichrei Baruch. That's from oh, Abraham. Man. From Abraham to I Abraham. Did, I, did, to Abraham. I, did, I did want to say, if you, <laughs> if you, if you don't mind, okay, just, uh, just one last thing, which I was really on my plan to, to say about about Rav Tversky. and and that is that his his struggle with the twelve steps was because the twelve steps fundamentally contradicts the whole Musar doctrine that was very prevalent in the Oilim Yeshivas. Okay, in particular the Litvish ones, where you know Musser was all about perfecting your character, doing activities to perfect your character, to make you you know to make you a mensch, and 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 the it kind of glorified the idea of free will also, as if every, you know the Rambam says every, you know everybody can be a tzaddik like Moshe Rabbeinu or Russia you know like Yeravam, and it, it all it it's all up to you. You have the choice. You have the power to make this happen. And of course, the twelve-step program f- starts on a completely different basis. No, you don't have the problem, the ability to make anything without, without your higher power, without a kodesh baruch Hu intervening in your life. Your life is going to be a mess, and there's nothing, that, there's nothing that you can do about that, other than to be honest enough to ask for help. Okay, and it's it's a completely different hashkafa, but the the twelve-step hashkafa actually has a lot of precedent in Yiddishkeit. As well, you know, it's just it's just not the you know not the tradition that was uh, that was embodied in the in the in the yeshiva world in America at the you know at the time, and of course you know take a look at Rabbi Nachman for instance, whose whose you know whose solution for everything is not to control yourself or you know it's to it's to talk to God, okay, and to talk to God all the time. And and, and I would say also um, in the Shari Kedusha of Rabbi Chaim Vital, there are. Uh, antecedents to this idea of the levels till you're ready, right? The ideas of bitul hayesh yeah, um, and things like that, you know, which I think are uh, yeah. Bit, well, bitul hayesh, of course, is is pretty is is pretty powerful in terms of transforming yourself because you know, like you don't have to control yourself if you're mavatil your yesh, which is which is a, which is a different process altogether. So then, so then, you know, Kaddish Baruch Hu takes over, right? And oh, and that works that works okay. better for a lot of people. Right. Instead and, of, instead and, of this, all this trying to self control, self control. I don't have to. I don't. I can. I can get up. I can get up. I can do this. I can do this. Oh, I didn't do it. Okay. You know, I think the belief. You know, the belief that we have the this infinite ability to do whatever it is that we know is right is somewhat over is somewhat overstated. And as before, Shigemar is that, you know, um, because of three psukim, you know, there's Ayat Kumal Sanam Shel Yisrael. You know. Um, sure. Sure, and and you know, 
So these, right. are, these are these are things that work much, which work also very well according to this twelve-step uh, thing. You know, the the ikir is not to try to control yourself. The ikir is to let Kadosh Baruch into your life, and to believe that he can actually make a change. Well, let's just be Messiah on a tavar toiv, as as even a one yes. more tavar toiv. You know, they say that uh, from the Elston the Yings to the Mashiach will come, in, and in a way, you know, although from Yeshua Heschel. Ben Rabbi Yaakov Yisrael, Zecher Tzadik Kodesh was from the youngest and the oldest, and wasn't the Mashiach. But maybe the types of uh, principles, ideas, and our hisbaininess will get us into that mindset that uh, it's taka going to be more than just ikvus of the Mashiach. Maybe that's taka part of what it means. Mashiach Volkumen, not necessarily in his persona, in his person. But from um, the realistic and Kabbalistic soci- sociological uh, acceptance of his derech is the derech, perhaps, of Mashiach Tzidkenu Bimheir Yemenu. Take care, everybody. We'll Amen. see you. Thanks for joining us for another episode from the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT Podcast. Be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast app so you don't miss a single episode.